0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please
1: visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' And I answered, "'Who are you, Lord?' And he said to me, "'I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting.' Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, "'What shall I do, Lord?' And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight." And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go. For I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Amy, for reading that passage for us this morning. We are, uh, if we haven't met again, my name is Russ Ramsey. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Cool Springs. We've been in a sermon series on the Book of Acts, kind of for three years. Uh, we've been doing it in chunks of about nine or ten chapters at a time, and so we're in the home stretch um, of of Acts. Where it's one of my uh, contentions that that the Book of Acts is very similar in some ways to the Book of Exodus in this way specifically, and that is that they both are books that have really rich narrative sections, you know, where you, you learn a lot about the story. And then those narratives are interrupted, if you will, with other stuff. So in Exodus, you get like the dimensions of building the tabernacle and how big the curtains should be and high and, and who should make them. And, and in Acts, you get like these sermons that just kind of are peppered throughout and and so in a way they're 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 both both of those books are a little bit like a twofer right like you get you get the narrative and then you get the other stuff um but in another way it it makes them it's a kind of a challenge when it comes to understanding and reading what's happening because the narrative gets broken and interrupted um, as you go, and so I think for for many of us, when we read the Book of Acts, following that narrative thread is, is sometimes a little bit complicated. And so one of the things that I love to do is pull that thread uh, and to help us see kind of what's what is the story that's actually happening here. And so we're in this kind of home stretch of the Book of Acts where Paul is is in a series of, he's making a series of movements that are leading him, that will eventually lead him into an audience with Caesar himself. But for Paul, it's never easy, right? He's he's always getting beaten up, he's always getting arrested, he's always being chased out of a city, he's always being left for dead. It seems like he's this is just kind of a rhythm that happens with him, and it's happening here, and we're going to get into the context of that in a minute, but... Before we do, I want to frame it and kind of give us something to sort of think about as we're getting into it. And and, and the question is this. Um, have you ever found yourself, or do you right now find yourself, uh, stuck in a moment that you can't get out of? Stuck in a... Some of you have U2 in your minds right now. Um, as you should. Uh, part of, I think that's part of the the... I think they've sort of they're like a little earworm for me right now because they're doing this residency in Vegas in this venue called The Sphere, which is this round building with 360 high-definition LED screens, and it's this whole spectacle that they're doing. But U2's band, they have a song called Stuck in a Moment, um, where where that's kind of what it's about. It's about being stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. And I think that in life, we, we have these seasons where we, we get stuck in something and the feeling is that you're just in some kind of reoccurring cycle of discouragement or some sense of futility and you just feel like you're beating your head against the same wall over and over and over again. When that happens, what what is the feeling that comes over you? I'll tell you what it can feel like for me. It can feel like I'm looking down a long, dark tunnel, and there's a pinprick of light at the end of it, but there might as well not be, because of how far away it seems. And it's frustrating. I just keep running into the same wall. And it's not so much the frustration of running into the same wall as it is the nagging question that accompanies it. And that nagging question is, how long is this going to happen? Or is this just how it's going to be now? This is how it's going to be from here on out. What hope can you have when you are just stuck in something that keeps happening over and over? I want to talk about that when it comes to today's passage, because This is a passage of scripture where one of the things that we see of many that we could draw from this passage is that the apostle Paul is stuck in a moment and it's the moment of having to defend being an apostle to the Gentiles over and over and over again. He is, he has to explain that he's an apostle to the Gentiles and people respond and say, boo, and then he has to defend it and then he gets beaten up. And then he goes to another city and the cycle starts all over again. Here you have it. Let me give you a little context for what's going on. So Paul is in Jerusalem. He's there because he's traveled there to visit the church in Jerusalem, which is now being led by James, the brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James. This is not Peter, James, and John James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And so he's there. He's brought an offering that he has collected from churches throughout Asia Minor from believers who are both Jewish and Gentile to bring to the church in Jerusalem that's been struggling. There's been a famine. And so he gets there, and one of the things that precedes Paul when he goes into Jerusalem is Paul's reputation. But the reputation that he has, particularly because you've got to remember, Jerusalem is where the Jewish Christians are centralized. And so Paul's been this apostle to the Gentiles. He's coming into a Jewish context, and the the stories that they've heard about Paul have created rumors about him that he is somehow now looking at Jewish tradition and custom and telling people, stop being involved with any of that. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is your traditions and your customs, as helpful as they may be for your worship, they don't save you. So you can practice them, don't practice them. It's up to you, but do not look to them for salvation. But what people hear is that he's saying, down with all of your Jewish traditions and customs. And so he agrees when he gets in Jerusalem at James' recommendation to go through a Nazarite vow, a kind of a ceremonial purification ritual. And this is a way of of persuading folks who are skeptical about him, that no, he is not anti-Jewish tradition and custom. It's just framed in the way, that saying, yes, it's not your salvation. And so he goes through this process. It's an elaborate process. It takes time. And at the end of it, he has to go to the temple to complete the ritual. And so he goes to the temple, but this act of deference to be all things to all people Uh, catches the attention of some of the Jewish unbelievers um, in Jerusalem who didn't just oppose Paul's association with Gentiles, but they opposed Paul's association with Christians. And these were people who were committed to punishing Paul for his willingness to associate with the great unwashed. And so they see Paul, and they see him go into the temple and err, Earlier, they had seen Paul with a man from Ephesus that they recognized, a man named Trophimus, who was a Gentile convert to Christianity. And when they see Paul in the temple area, they make the assumption that Paul has Trophimus with him. And this is upsetting to them because what it means is, see, he defiles the temple of the Lord by bringing an unclean person into it. He didn't. He didn't bring Trophimus with him into the temple, but they thought that he did. And they told other people that he did. And then they started to cause this scene because they're saying that Paul is defying the law of God and he's defiling the holy place by bringing this Gentile in. And these two accusations, that Paul would defy God's law and defile the temple, bring this pious sense of retribution. Why? People love to be angry in groups. And so they're angry, and they're angry in a group. The good thing about being angry in a group is only some of you need to know why you're angry. The rest of you just get to be angry. And so they're all confused. They're not sure exactly what's happening, but boy, are they mad at Paul for whatever it was that he did. And so they seize him, and they drag him out of the temple for doing whatever it was that he might have done. And then they lock the door behind him, and once he's outside of the temple, the people begin to beat him, and the intention is to kill him. And news of this upheaval spreads, and it makes its way to the military tribune, a man named Claudius Lysias, whose job it is to maintain peace in the temple. And he sees what's going down, and he knows this is about to be bad. And so he fears that this mob is about to riot. And so he sends the captain of the guard in with a cohort of soldiers, and they go in and they get Paul, and they arrest him, and they bind him. And the reason they arrest him and they bind him is to save the man's life. And so they get him, they stop the beating, they lead him out of the courtyard as a prisoner surrounding him. And the crowd is still just demanding blood. They're demanding blood. And here's another example of something that we've talked about a number of times now in this series in Acts, where you see Paul leveraging the Roman justice system to protect Christians from persecution. And this happens a number of times in the book of Acts where Paul, as a Roman citizen, insists on being treated as one. And so here, he is being helped by a Roman cohort of soldiers. Actually, his life is being spared by them. And they knew that they needed to arrest him because it wouldn't be safe for Paul to walk, and so they carry him. They're carrying this beaten and bloody apostle up these stairs to take him in. And Paul asks if it would be possible for him before he goes into the barracks to speak to the mob. He asks Claudius Lysias for permission. But he asks him in Greek. Now, why does that matter? It matters because... Nobody knew what was going on, not even Claudius Lysias. Claudius Lysias thought that Paul was actually an Egyptian revolutionary that other people had been talking about, and that's who he assumed this was. And so to hear him speak in Greek, it's like, you speak Greek? And Paul says, I am not who you think I am. You've mistaken me for somebody else. What I am is I'm a Jew from Tarsus, and that's a city that you know, and I beg you, please let me speak to the people. So now Claudius Lysias has had his presumptions challenged, and so he grants the request. And then Paul stands on the steps in front of the barracks and he motions for the people to listen to him, and then a quiet spreads across the crowd and Paul speaks to them next in Hebrew. Uh-oh, he's not just Roman, he's Jewish. Brothers and fathers of Jerusalem, he says, allow me to make my defense in your language and he testifies. He testifies about how he became a Christian, specifically how he became an apostle to the Gentile world. He hits all the familiar parts of the story that we know from from Paul, his Jewish roots, his pedigree, his miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, depicted in the back of the room back there by Caravaggio how Jesus appeared to him when he was riding on his horse and he sees this light and he goes blind. He speaks of his former persecution of Christians. He speaks about specifically his role in the martyrdom of Stephen. And then he starts talking about how God called him out of Jerusalem and into the Gentile world. And this is where the wheels fall off the wagon. Because he quotes the Lord speaking then, saying things like, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Or, and, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up until this point, the crowd had been listening carefully because they were wanting to know what is this Greek-speaking, Hebrew-speaking man about to say to us as he's there, beaten and bloodied, but having somehow mustered the courage to turn around and address the room. And they're wondering where he's going to take it. Would he try to explain? This has just been a big misunderstanding. We're all friends here. Instead, what he says is, the Lord called me to leave a deaf Jerusalem for a listening Gentile world. And that's when they say, this man deserves to die. And they start the revolt all up again. And Lysias now knows I only have seconds before I lose my control on this moment. And so they bring Paul into the barracks and they order that he be examined by flogging, which is just what it sounds like. Let's beat him to see if he's telling the truth. And as they're binding Paul with ropes, he asks the person who's binding him with ropes a question. And it is a terrifying question. It is a question that has the force of a hurricane behind it. The question is, has it become legal for you to flog an uncondemned Roman citizen? There is a statement in that question. The statement is, you understand, right, that it is actually illegal for you to flog an uncondemned Roman citizen. And another layer of what they don't know is now seen. Because the centurion goes to Lysias, tells Paul what he just said, stops what he's doing. Lysias comes over and says, wait, are you a Roman citizen? Curiosity. A simple question. Paul says, I am. And Lysias says, So am I, it cost me a fortune. In other words, I wasn't born a Roman citizen, but I bought my citizenship. What did you do to become a Roman? And Paul says, I was born one. And when he said this, the entire guard dropped what they were doing and they stepped back. Because ironically, the power that gave them the roles that they occupied was the same power that would now put them in a world of hurt if they continued to persecute this person knowing what they knew about him. And so there's a soldier that steps forward, then he unties Paul. I wonder if his hands are trembling as he's fidgeting with the knot and wondering which of these other guys tied it. And they place Paul in a cell overnight, and the reason they put him in a cell overnight is because they don't want him to die. And so they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And they still don't know why all the people out there are upset with him. And so this whole thing is just filled with confusion and misunderstanding. And then here you have Paul who's hurt. And he's bruised and he's bloody and it's happening again and again. And he had to have felt just stuck in a moment that he can't get out of. And so I want to talk about that for the remainder of our time. Because over and over again in Acts, Paul has to do this. He has to defend one of the most fundamental aspects of his calling. And it is this, that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm an apostle, to the Gentiles. And this idea that the covenant grace of the God of Abraham would extend beyond the Jewish people was a scandalous thought for many, And the problem is, it shouldn't have been. And the reason it shouldn't have been is because when God made his covenant with Abraham, what did he tell him? You will be the father of a great nation. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. Then you will be blessed. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will be blessed and what? You will be a blessing to the nations. That's what they're called to. To be a blessing to the rest of the world but it was a scandal. Can you imagine the heartache that Paul must have had having to keep returning to this point, not just to clarify, but to defend something that should have been woven into the fabric of how they even thought about their neighbors? But no, how weary. You ever felt this way? You're stuck in this unfolding drama, and you wonder, is this ever going to resolve? It's exhausting. It's discouraging. It's disorienting. It's all-consuming. It's just taking little bites out of you all the time. When we find ourselves here in these kind of not-this-again sort of moments, it can be really easy to think that this is all that there is. This is all that's happening. Is this terrible thing that's happening. And time can stand still, and we feel like the clock is just ticking by, second at a time. It's so frustrating. It had to have been wearying for Paul, always having to defend to others what was made so plain to him by the Lord and then being beaten up for it over and over again. Now, in our circumstances, We don't always have the same kind of clarity that the Apostle Paul had from the Lord, right? In our situations, I don't know which way is up. We didn't necessarily have the Lord knock us off of our horse and teach us about his mercy and take us into a trance where we saw the third heaven or whatever, right? We go through our own situation and we say, I'm just trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to be faithful with what I think I know is true. It can be so easy to find ourselves in a moment that's so overwhelming that it can just seem like this is all there is, and we begin to just despair. And we begin to think, this is the rest of my life now. It's just this one long slog up this same frustrating hill. We will, (laughs) Jesus said, in this world, you will always have the poor with you. Um, He could have also said, in this world, you will always have the unruly crowds You will always have people who are angry and you will always have people who want to be angry and you'll always have people who want to be angry when other people are angry and they want to be angry together. And so we're going to have unruly crowds that are going to cry out in their confusion because they're just mad and their hearts are broken and they're looking for somebody to blame for the frustration that they feel, then sometimes we're those people. We're the ones who are frustrated and angry and we're looking for somebody to blame with our frustration. We're members of the angry crowd. We're mad at the world and we're taking aim at anyone and everyone that we can because things aren't working. Where do I take my anger? Where do I take my confusion? At whose feet do I lay my weariness when my soul is just empty? When we look at Paul's life, it's just full of this kind of stuff. It's full of these unexpected twists and turns, it's full of trouble. It seems like Paul was never safe. If I were in his shoes, I would have felt like the troubles of the day are all that there was. And I say that with certainty, because I'm not in Paul's shoes. I haven't experienced anything near the measure of suffering he's experienced. And I already sometimes feel like the troubles of today are all there is. So if I was in his shoes, of course I would feel that way. But what's happening What's happening is the crowd is rioting and Lysias is trying to get things under control and they're bringing Paul through and they're thinking about their next move and they're asking him questions and he's beaten and he's bloody and he's trying to give answers to the questions and they're responding. What's happening in all that? God is working. And he's working over time. He's doing something. He's building his kingdom and he's doing that in part through the lives of his people, through you and me. He's leading us. As Paul, was being, as Paul was being led away from this riotous crowd, he was going somewhere. Not just into the barracks, not just into a cell. He was going to Caesar. That's where this is going. He was going to Rome itself. And this is the Ark of the Bible. The Ark of the Bible is Eden to Rome. And then what happens? The Gospel goes out from there. The Gospel goes out from the Roman Empire. Where does it go? Franklin? North Carolina? Oregon? Saskatchewan? Australia? It goes where well, the author of it said it would go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. That's where it's going. God is at work. And so we get stuck in a moment. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians one twenty-four. He says, when we were with you, we labored with you for your joy. That word labor, we struggled. We struggled with you for your joy. For you to have it. For you to know it. For you to be able to feel more than one thing at a time. We struggled alongside you that you would have joy, that you would see the beauty of the gospel, even in the hardship. It can be so hard to hold on to that joy because there are so many things that are competing for it. But if we can see how God is working here in this moment in Paul's life, we can see God actually is working over time. He's faithful. How do we learn to do that? We look at how we measure how we look at life and how we measure time. If we could measure our lives in weeks rather than days, that would give us perspective. If we could measure our lives in months rather than weeks, in eras rather than months, you're in an era of your life right now that you will look back on as an era. You won't remember today necessarily, but you'll remember the era of it. You remember the things that were going on, the good things, the unresolved things. You will have perspective to see the resolutions that came. If we could take a long view, we would see not only that our present struggles, the ones that seem just like this knot that can't be untied, we will see that they they actually do come to some kind of peaceful, though maybe still heartbreaking resolution. But we would also see that these present moments we feel stuck in are not the ultimate story. We would know because it came and it felt like it was everything in the world and then it passed and I'm still standing and God is still faithful. And we would be reminded that the story ends the way Revelation 21 talks about it. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, For the former things have passed away. Behold, Christ says, I am making all things new. in the midst of the din of the angry mob trying to exact some sort of vengeance from Paul for whatever it was that they were truly mad about, he moves through that crowd like we move through the world. Not to a prison cell that would lead to trials that would get him in an audience with Caesar himself, but ultimately he moves through that world in a way where Christ is moving the church. Out the body of Christ, and it's making its way across around the world, and it's making its way down through time to now, right here in this room. And so how do we respond to that when we're stuck in a moment, we lift our eyes because there's beauty everywhere. We lift our eyes and we feel the brisk chill of autumn in the air and we breathe it in. And we know that there's beauty everywhere. And it's all headed someplace to this glorious resolution. And when that day comes, we won't remember the frustration, and the futility that we feel now as we feel it. I believe there is a place where the light will always shine. There is a place where the mysteries unwind. There is a place, I can't see it, but there is a place where we'll look each other in the eye and dance above the wreckage of the fall. There is a place where the sun will rise on golden fields and we will not remember this at all. Where the mystery of living here will disappear into a perfect end. There is a place. I can't see it, but there is a place. Pray with me, Father. As we pray at the conclusion of this sermon, where we read a passage about the Apostle Paul once again entering into a cycle of violence and frustration and distrust and corruption. I pray, Lord. Uh, First of all, for the unrest that's happening in Israel right now. uh, Father, we we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring protection and healing to those who are suffering right this very minute uh, in the conflict that is happening there. And that you would protect the lives of your image bearers. And we ask that you would Bring peace to that place. For us, Lord, I ask that you would lift our eyes when we're in a place where we feel like we're stuck in a moment and we can't see anything beyond it, that you would give us, that you would use our senses, the senses of feel and taste and scent and sight to be confronted with the beauty that's happening all around us that we would see a world that is bigger than the one that is just that pinprick of light at the end of a dark tunnel. But Lord, give us perspective. Use the story of the Apostle Paul and his journey through Acts and the way that the gospel has made its way around the world to reach us here as a reminder that you're always doing as you say in your word exceedingly more than all that we ask or think. And may this be a source of joy for us as we look forward to your return when everything will be made new. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.